you're listening to The Health Classes You Missed. My name is Monica and I am a secondary school health teacher with a passion for all things health. Whether you're currently at school or finished 20 years ago, this podcast will help you understand those topics that may have been skimmed over, considered inappropriate or flat out ignored. So sit up straight, faces forward, let's get into it. Welcome back to another episode. Jeez, I have actually really, really missed just doing some solid research and getting on here to chat about a topic on my own. I feel like I haven't done like a good, solid, long form episode on a topic on my own in so long. Of course, I love having guests on. I bloody love it. But it is so good to get some research done, to use my brain again in that way, and to sit here and record with you guys. So this is coming out on Tuesday morning. Uh, I actually had already I'd already recorded most of this episode. And then I don't know what happened, but classic me, I lost it. I don't know where it went. I don't know if I didn't save it. I don't know. I can't remember. Honestly, too much going on. It's the end of term in my defense. So I think my brain's just absolutely turned to mush, but all good. I'm recording. It is Monday morning. So this will be out tomorrow morning and we'll still get all this learning in. I'm very excited. So today we are talking about a topic that I have wanted to cover for ages, and that is herpes. Now, if you guys have been listening for a while, you'll know that I've covered a few other STIs in these long form episodes, and they're really good. They're often some of the most popular episodes that I've got. But today it's herpes. So what is herpes? Now, this is medically known as the herpes simplex virus. And as I said, this episode has been a long time coming, and that's because I've been trying to find someone to jump on and discuss their story as well as coming, you know, me coming here talking about the facts as well. So that means that this episode will be paired with an upcoming episode where I do actually have a guest on to kind of do a bit of like a, I would say like a how's your head, like THCYM hybrid kind of episode where we're going to talk all about herpes, all about mental health and all about how the stigma of herpes has affected this person's life. As we know, this sexually transmitted infection has such a huge social stigma and is so poorly understood in our society, which of course we're going to talk about a little bit later and in the additional episode, but I do want to touch on it here as well. Herpes is also so easily passed on because, which we've heard with other STI episodes such as chlamydia, a lot of people don't know that they have it. Therefore, how are they to know whether they're passing it on or not? And we know as well that discussing and talking about STIs, particularly those with such a huge stigma like herpes, can make people feel really awkward and really uncomfortable. But, and I say this again all the time, if you are sexually active or even if you're thinking about becoming sexually active, it is so important to know about and understand STIs as well as know how to treat them and how to find help if you do contract something like the herpes virus. Now, a statistic to get us started, according to Queensland Health, approximately one in eight sexually active Australians has genital herpes and up to 80% 
of Australian adults carry HSV-1. Now, you might be thinking, what the hell is HSV-1? What does that even mean? Or maybe you didn't realize that herpes is so common. So let's talk about it. To begin with, we're going to talk about what the herpes infection actually is. Let's break that down. So there are two types of herpes infections, and these are known as HSV-1 and HSV-2. Two types, HSV-1, HSV-2. Now, there are also two kind of categories that generally we put herpes in, and that is oral herpes and genital herpes. Now, oral herpes, also known as cold sores or fever blisters, these are found in and around the mouth and are most commonly, not always, but most commonly caused by HSV-1. It's so funny because obviously we talk about this at school during health classes And a lot of people are not aware that cold sores are herpes. And I think that people are more likely to talk about cold sores and be okay with having a cold sore because we call them cold sores. As soon as there's this name of herpes, people go, oh my goodness, what do you mean? It's herpes. But it is, it's the same thing. It's just on a different part of the body. And of course, we know now that there's two different types. So that's oral herpes. Genital herpes can be caused by HSV-1 or HSV-2 more commonly. And of course, as per the name, these are found on the genitals. It is important to understand, and this is a little bit confusing, but both types can infect the mouth, genital area, or other parts of the body. So let's break that down a little bit. According to the World Health Organization, type 1 or HSV-1 mostly spreads by oral contact. So this is things like kissing or sharing a water bottle where saliva would be present. And as we touched on, this generally causes infections around or in the mouth. But as I said, it can also cause genital herpes. And this generally occurs because a person has engaged in oral sex. So for example, someone may have an oral herpes. They then participate in oral sex with another person that herpes virus is then contracted by that sexual partner on their genitals. Interestingly, most adults are infected with HSV-1 and 40% of genital herpes is caused by this type 1 or HSV-1. So that is actually a very, very common thing to happen. Type 2 or HSV-2 spreads by sexual contact and causes genital herpes. However, In some cases, HSV-2 can also be present in the mouth as well. Now you might be thinking, so what is the difference? If they're both on all kind of parts of the body and you can get one more than the other in this place or that place or whatever, the main difference is that HSV-2 is a more aggressive form of herpes and generally comes about more frequently than HSV-1. So just as an example, someone who gets HSV-1 and gets cold sores might only get them when they're feeling run down. Maybe they only, you know, get them when they're stressed. We are going to talk about a few of these reasons later. Whereas HSV-2 carriers may get genital herpes once a month or might get them a lot more frequently than a person just getting cold sores when they're stressed. So that's kind of the difference there. If you're looking at it from a very base level, just to make sense of it, HSV-1, you can have as cold sores or genital herpes, 
and HSV2 is generally just found on the genitals. Now, in addition to all of that, it is important to know that herpes does not just affect the mouth and genitals, but it can also occur in the pubic area, on a person's bum, the back of the thighs or the inner thighs. It can also occur in a person's eyes. Now this, I do want to just make a point of, is very rare and extremely serious. So this is kind of an outline situation there. It can also even occur on a person's fingers. And this is known as herpes Whitlow. Again, rare. Today, for the purpose of this episode, we are just going to be focusing on the two main areas of the genitals and then the mouth area. So that's the two different types, HSV1, HSV2. HSV1 equals cold sores, can occur on the genitals, less frequent, less aggressive. HSV2, more aggressive, more frequent, generally just occurs on the genitals. So what are the symptoms of the herpes virus? It is all well and good to know the difference between the two types, but what should you look for? Now, importantly, most people with herpes have no symptoms or very mild symptoms. This means that people are potentially unaware they even have the virus. And of course, that means they can pass it on to other people without knowing. Now, this is a very interesting point when we know that according to Queensland Health, one in eight sexually active Australians has genital herpes. That's just the statistics of people that we are aware of. There could be so many, many, many more people carrying this virus and they don't know. And we have seen that in other episodes as well. When we're talking about STIs, this is not uncommon. It's just very interesting when herpes has this in, this massive social stigma and there are probably so many people that don't know that they have it. Now, back to looking at symptoms, they are the same or similar for both males and females, but there is a little bit of a difference here. Females are more susceptible and more sensitive to getting STIs like genital herpes than males. And this is because the mucous membranes, particularly in the genital area, are more sensitive in females. So when we're looking at statistics, one out of five females compared to one out of nine males have genital herpes. Now, males are also more likely to be asymptomatic. So they're much more likely to be able to pass it on to other people easier because they're not going to know or they're likely to not know or understand that they actually carry herpes. So according to the World Health Organization, again here, I'm going to be quoting them a lot during this episode. Symptoms include painful reoccurring blisters or ulcers. This is the main symptom. Now, new infections or first infections may also cause fevers, body aches, headaches, sore throat, of course, when we're talking about oral herpes generally here, and swollen lymph nodes. Now, the first outbreak of blisters or ulcers can be much more intense than reoccurring outbreaks. So this basically just means that when someone has herpes, it's likely that their symptoms will get less severe over time. Initial symptoms can start with a tingling kind of feeling on the skin, an itching or a burning sensation. Now we'll break down some general oral versus genital symptoms here. So some common oral symptoms include blisters like cold sores or open sores like ulcers, 
in or around the mouth and the lips. And that's generally where you will feel that tingling sensation or that burning sensation or whatever else prior to an actual sore appearing. Some genital herpes symptoms include bumps, blisters, or open sores around the genitals or the anus. There may be soreness when a person is passing urine. There might be bleeding of the blisters and sores as well. And this is usually quite painful. Blisters can break open, they can ooze, and then they will crust over. That's kind of the process of it, which is why people can feel pain. And of course, that's both oral and genital. Now, this process usually lasts for around one to two weeks. And then by week three, the blisters or the ulcers are generally healed completely, but sometimes they do leave scars. So that is the kind of process. You might feel a tingling or a burning sensation. Blisters will start to occur. They will either crack open and ooze or they will just kind of heal themselves over a couple of weeks. By the third week there, you shouldn't have anything anymore. There might be a scar. What happens next is that once the sores have healed, the virus then hides in the nerve cells under the surface of the skin where the site is and the infection stays there for the rest of a person's life. So that's what we talk about. Herpes having this stigma, I think, because mainly it never goes away. There's no cure for herpes like there is for syphilis or for chlamydia. So the infection does stay at the infection site, hiding in those nerve cells forever. They can pop up again, like I talked about before, when a person is under a lot of stress, when a person is experiencing illness, when a person may be exposed to too much sun, when a female is on their period, maybe someone's experienced injury at the area, a person may have just had surgery, Or, unfortunately, it can just occur for no reason at all. Now, children and elderly people here are at risk of more serious complications when it comes to herpes. But for the general healthy person, this is kind of the process of what happens. I do want to point out here as well, this can be so bloody confusing. And I had so much conflicting evidence when I was researching for this topic. There was so much stuff that I would read on one site and then I'd read it on another site and it would be completely opposite in the information. Some research will say you will continue to have outbreaks or symptoms throughout your life once infected. Other sources say you can have it for a very long time and not know and not experience symptoms or you can experience symptoms once and not get them again. From what I have gathered with all of this kind of information is just that each case is so individual. So it's going to vary from person to person as with most things when it comes to health. But it's really important that maybe you are someone that has experienced the herpes virus or you are interested in just knowing about it. It's hard to find solid information out there. I will, of course, as per usual, link any reputable information that I have found in the show notes if people want more information. Um, But geez, we do need to get better at getting accurate information out there. In fact, when I was researching, an article from the New York Times outlined that herpes actually isn't a top priority for researchers. And this mainly is because physical symptoms, as I said, for for a normal healthy adult are generally really mild. It's also really hard to develop a vaccine against the herpes virus. And in addition, which this is a whole other conversation in itself, clinicians are usually, or GPs, doctors, 
are usually really reluctant to discuss sexual health in this way. So no wonder people are bloody confused about herpes and there is this massive stigma around it all. At the end of the day, it's just a skin condition that pops up when someone might be feeling stressed. That's generally when we're looking at HSV1. HSV2 is the same thing. It just might occur a little bit more frequently. Moving on now, let's look at the causes of herpes. According to Better Health, the herpes virus spreads between people, usually through contact with saliva or direct contact with a blister or an open sore. Now, people are most infectious in the days where the sore is active. However, importantly, herpes can also be transmitted in the days that the blister or the sore is forming, not when it's actually present. So it is super important to know those initial symptoms to avoid passing it on because people can pass it on without any symptoms. This is when the the virus is kind of laying dormant to under those nerve cells like we talked about. Most of the time, though, if a person is not showing any symptoms, now this is so confusing, right? Because if a person, and this is kind of part of breaking down this stigma of like a person with herpes is just going to be able to give everyone herpes at all times. It's a really complicated thing here because if a person is not showing absolutely any symptoms at all, at all, they are unlikely to pass it on. However, as I just said, if there are some sort of those symptoms of like tingling or burning or itching or any of those kinds of things where a, where a sore blister may be coming to occur, you can definitely pass it on then as well. So this is just really important. And I know I say this all the time, but people understanding their own bodies and their own health and knowing and being able to identify these things without medical assistance so that they are in an understanding of if someone does have herpes, oh, this this kind of symptom is happening. Maybe I'm not going to have sexual intercourse or maybe I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that just to avoid passing it on to other people. It's so important to have autonomy over your health and understand your health. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. I always preach that. I'm going to preach it here again. There is nothing wrong with knowing and understanding and being curious about your health and your body. Sorry, tangent, but let's move back on to what causes it. Now, on that topic, women are more likely to contract uh, herpes because of the difference in skin barriers, like we talked about before, particularly on the genitals. Now, for oral herpes, it can be passed on through kissing, through sharing uh, like a glass or a drink bottle, sharing toothbrushes, even having close contact with other skin conditions like eczema and close contact with people who have weakened immune systems. As we've already spoken about, HSV1 can be transmitted through oral to genital contact and also cause genital herpes as well. HSV2 or genital herpes is mainly transmitted through contact with genital or anal surfaces, skin, sores, or fluids of someone infected with the virus. And again, this can be transmitted in the absence of symptoms. In rare cases, both HSV1 and HSV2 can be transmitted from a mother to their child during delivery. And this causes something known as neonatal herpes. As I said, though, this is rare and does not usually occur, but it is suggested that if a person is pregnant and has ever experienced any kind of genital herpes, they do let their doctor know just so this can be avoided and a kind of plan can be put in place 
for the mother in this instance. And just to come over here and break down some myths, you cannot get herpes from sharing towels or using a toilet seat or swimming in a pool. This is because the virus has an extremely short lifespan out of the body and dies very quickly on outside surfaces. So the chances are extremely low. Not going to say impossible, but extremely low. And the reason that you can kind of get herpes from like a drink bottle or a toothbrush or something is because the virus can stay alive longer in the saliva, in the bodily fluids there. It's much, much less likely for a person to pass this on through something like a towel or sitting on a toilet seat or something like that. And that's a very common misconception uh, with lots of STIs. I have actually linked a kind of myth and fact or myth busting page here in the show notes. So if you want to have a look at that, that was pretty interesting as well. I'm not going to go through every single one of them, but that does answer a lot of uh, kind of misconceptions and break down a lot of those things. So check that out if you're interested. But moving on now, we're going to talk about how you treat herpes. Now, unfortunately, as we spoke about before, herpes is one STI that is not curable. So we spoke about how the virus stays in the system for life. It lays dormant in the nerve cells. You cannot get rid of it. However, it is very treatable. And just because someone does have a diagnosis does not mean that their life is over like so many people feel or are led to believe by the ideas associated with herpes, with this STI. So for genital herpes, Medications are often used to treat first or reoccurring episodes of genital herpes. They can also decrease symptoms and the length of symptoms, but cannot cure it. So they can change the amount or the frequency that a person actually experiences the herpes, but they cannot make it go away altogether. Now, these medications are most effective when started within 48 hours of initial symptoms. And some antiviral medications that may be given are, (laughs) let me just say, these, I don't know why medications are so hard to pronounce. They make them so confusing, but I'm going to do my best here. The first one here is acyclovir. The second is famcyclovir. And the third is valacyclovir. These are just different antiviral medications that may be given. All of them work in the same way. Now, these kind of suppressive treatments or medications can actually reduce the risk of transmission of herpes by at least 50%. So it's really important that if someone is experiencing reoccurring outbreaks or reoccurring symptoms and is a sexually active person, they are taking some sort of medication here. And if people are experiencing really, really frequent outbreaks, they can actually have the option of taking medication daily. And taking these kind of lower doses daily can help, again, to decrease symptoms and how often they occur. There are, of course, further treatment options for those who experience painful and frequent outbreaks, and this should be discussed with a medical professional, with your GP. Some other treatment options when actually actively experiencing a herpes outbreak can include sitting in a warm bath, of course, making sure that it is soapless, you're not using anything else, and wearing loose-fitting clothing. So that's genital herpes. For oral herpes, medicines like paracetamol, naproxen or ibuprofen can help with general pain. Other kind of creams or numbing agents like lidocaine or benzocaine can help to numb the area, making it easier for people to drink and to eat. There are also little patches that people can get 
to put on their lips to either slow an outbreak or minimize symptoms in general as well. And there are daily supplements like cold sore complex or lysine tablets that can also help to prevent outbreaks. And other things that people can do if they're experiencing an active outbreak is drinking cold drinks or sucking on icy poles as well to kind of numb the area too. So moving on now, we're going to talk about prevention methods. And the first thing, as I'm sure you can all bloody guess I'm going to say, is safe sex. This is using a condom, male or female. And this is the best way to prevent the genital herpes infection. Again, even when no sores or blisters are present. For oral herpes, of course, avoiding any kissing or oral sex when any sores or signs pop up and avoiding sex for about a week or so until everything is healed because a reminder when sores are present or healing or they're, they're still there in any kind of way, this is when you are the most infectious. Avoiding sex in general when, with anyone who has symptoms at the time. For oral herpes, wearing sunscreen on the lips and face when outdoors. Avoiding getting unwell. So if you are someone that is experiencing HSV2 and you are experiencing very frequent outbreaks, Looking after your health in other ways, like getting daily exercise, eating well, limiting alcohol and drug use is super, super important. Avoiding sharing things like drink bottles or glasses or toothbrushes or all of those things when sores are present. And this could be a surprising point here, because if you've listened to my other episodes, you'll know I harp on so much about getting checked for STIs regularly, especially if you are sexually active and you have multiple partners. Let's quickly talk about STI checks when it comes to herpes. Now, if a person has active symptoms, then an STI check is absolutely necessary and can be extremely accurate in diagnosing herpes. And this is because a doctor will swab a lesion or a blister or a sore and run a highly sensitive molecular test. So this is almost bang on in being able to identify whether a person is experiencing herpes or not. However, interestingly, if symptoms are not present, doctors usually diagnose with an antibody test, which according to that same article from the New York Times can be extremely inaccurate. In fact, up to half of positive commercial test results could be false. So that means that routine checks for genital herpes are not usually recommended, especially due to the psychological harm that can be and often is caused by getting a false positive test result. Now, that's not to say don't test for anything. Don't go, you don't need an STI check. Of course you do. But it does make testing for herpes very difficult. So make sure that you're practicing safe sex. And if there is any kind of symptom going on, particularly with genital herpes, go and get that checked out as soon as you can. What the hell do I do if I have herpes and how do I tell a partner about herpes? Probably a, one of the most important parts of this episode, right? Interestingly, as I spoke about at the start, I've said interestingly so many times in this episode, cold sores are not often something people are that worried to talk about. And as I said before, I mean, this is just me talking from opinion, but I think it's because they've been given a different name and we know that the name of herpes just carries so much load here and carries so much stigma. Herpes is common, guys. And in the realm of illness and viral infections, it generally 
for most people, does not cause as much harm as people might think. Not physically anyway. When we're looking at an STI like the herpes virus, there is so much more of a mental impact than there is of a physical one. Commonly, those who experience a herpes diagnosis feel that their life is over, that no one will love them, that they cannot have an active sex life or no one will have sex with them again. And as I said, this can lead to severe mental health problems. And we are, I'm not going to dive into that as much in this episode, because as I said, I've got a guest coming on. So we are going to chat all about this in an additional episode. On top of this though, if you are someone that has herpes, particularly genital herpes in this sense, avoid Googling it. Even with my research, I was so confused about some points and that's because there is so much misleading information. It is so important to speak to professionals or even someone you trust to take you to speak to a professional. So let's just quickly talk about where the stigma came from. So basically what happened is that there was a new drug to treat genital herpes patients. From this drug, a disease awareness campaign was organized to alert doctors and patients to the benefit of the new drug. But the marketing strategies that were used here made herpes seem like this crazy, scary, very, very important and significant disease or infection. Now, the marketing tactic here was not actually to promote the drug, but it was to promote the fact that herpes is this massive, incurable disease that's going to stay with people forever. They used words like sufferers to describe people who were experiencing a herpes outbreak or people who were diagnosed with the virus. So this whole thing was just blown up in order to sell this drug, this antiviral medication. According to Herpes UK, a helpline during this time was set up and heaps of new patients who had been diagnosed with herpes were calling and calling and calling and calling. And this is when they kind of got an idea of the mental toll that this was having on people and that the language, the deliberate language that was used in these marketing campaigns, how this was actually impacting people. In fact, one patient who called up said, and this is absolutely horrible to even re-read, they said, I wish I had cancer. Then at least people would feel sorry for me. As it is, I can't even tell them what I've got. And that is just so crazy. It's so crazy how stigmatized it was that people were feeling like they couldn't even say what they had. Of course, we understand that things that are involved with sex and sexual activity can often be, I guess, labeled as dirty or gross, or, or that is something that is attached to it in general. But for something that is as common as it is and as largely undiagnosed as it is, it's insane how this stigma has just continued on over the years. It's really sad to read quotes like I just read and understand that that is probably still the mindset of a lot of people going through this today in 2023. And I think it's so important, which is why I'm getting someone on next week to come and talk about it. And we we are going to dive into it a little bit more there, as I said. But we do need to break down this whole thing of the word herpes and even the word dirty or the words gross becoming kind of synonymous or interchangeable. In fact, actually in 2015, a Google search analysis showed more than 600,000 matches for the terms herpes and dirty used in close proximity to one another. So 
The association of a person with herpes being dirty or unlovable is something that has been etched into us. As I just talked about for years and years and years, lack of education absolutely fuels this fire and it's continue on for decades. So if you're listening to this, really important to make sure that the language that all of us are carrying around herpes or the ideas that we've got about it, that was all on purpose to sell a drug for something that is so common, as I said, so underdiagnosed. There's probably people in your life that have it that don't know, or there's people in your life that do have it, that hear people talking about it, and it just increases that stigma, that feeling of people are going to reject them or they're unlovable. The language and the ideas that are kind of pushed across here can not only be really bad for a person's mental health, but really bad for physical health too, because it can deter people from seeking diagnosis and treatment. And then this can therefore increase the rates of transmission from person to person. But coming back to this question of what does a person do if they have an SDI, particularly herpes, and need to let a sexual partner know or sexual partners know? This can be a really tricky thing and sometimes very embarrassing for some people. Technically, it's not a legal requirement to tell a sexual partner that you have herpes, but honesty and openness usually works best in life, in any situation. Now, not everyone chooses to tell casual sexual partners, especially if they are practicing safe sex and obviously not doing anything when they have physical symptoms. This, of course, is up to the person. However, If you do need to tell the people that you have been sexually active with, but don't want to tell them yourself, there are services available to help you with this. And I have mentioned this in other episodes as well. For example, there is a process called partner notification, and this can be done through your GP, which is essentially an anonymous messaging system that lets your partners know that they need to get tested for an STI. It'll basically send a message to your sexual partners that says, You have recently been in sexual contact with someone who has been diagnosed with herpes. Get tested now or something along those lines. There is also another great website called Let Them Know, which can also help you notify. That obviously is not through your GP. That's something that can just be done on your own. Now, again, this topic is something that we're going to cover with the person that I'm having on in the next couple of weeks. So we will learn more about like a real life experience here. However, for now, the information that I'm going to give you is do not stress that your life is over. Do not think that you're unlovable or that people will reject you. Despite it being incurable, herpes is totally manageable and does not make a person dirty or gross. In addition here, seeking counselling or help from other mental health professionals like psychologists might be really helpful in this time. You can ask your GP about what to do here, about mental health plans, all of those things. There are also support groups available for those who have experienced a herpes diagnosis or continue to struggle with herpes. And basically support groups are people working together to prove that life isn't ruined and that you are worthy despite this crazy stigma. At the end of the day, herpes is a common skin infection. That's it. Now, some additional numbers and information here just for those who maybe do need support if they do have herpes. Go to your local GP or nurse. You could go see your school nurse or your school welfare or wellbeing team. You can go to a local community health service or sexual health clinic. You can contact your family planning center near you. So for example, 
Victoria's action center number is 1-800-013-952. They are youth friendly as well. For your location, of course, wherever you are listening to this, I would just Google family planning and the place that you live. And in addition to all of this, and I've said this again in other episodes, but if someone discloses to you that they have herpes or any other STI for that matter, do not make them feel terrible about this. It's actually really important that people let their sexual partners know so that you can actually help yourself and reduce the amount of transmission that goes on within the community. Majority of us will have some sort of sexual experience across our lifetime. It is totally normal. It is totally natural. And we should be able to talk about the potential risks of partaking in sexual activity. A reminder that contracting herpes or any other SEI doesn't make you gross, doesn't make you dirty, doesn't make you unlovable. And the best thing that you can do for yourself, for your sexual partners, for others, is to head to your GP and get tested, find out a treatment plan and let your sexual partners know. That is all for today's episode, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you feel more informed and even more confident to take control of your sexual health. I hope you feel empowered not to play into the stigma of herpes any longer. If you enjoyed this episode, please come and follow me at the health classes you missed. Have a great week. I'm sorry that the episode came out late today, but it is what it is. Stay safe and I'll be back in your ears very, very soon. See you later. Hey team, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It would be a huge help for me and the health classes you missed if you could like, follow or subscribe wherever you are listening. And of course, if you want to keep learning and stay up to date with me, make sure you come and follow me at the health classes you missed on Instagram or THCYM and How's Your Head on TikTok. I've actually got two TikTok accounts now, so make sure you follow both of those to get all of that content. Thanks guys. See you later.